Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. Um, really helps us out. You know the spiel that I always go on, helps us out, gets some more exposure. Uh, always want your feedback. Um, really appreciate it. So I'm psyched today to be joined by a friend of mine, friend of the show, um, writer over 8.9 seconds, Rhett Bauer. Rhett, how are you doing today, man? I am great, Mark. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, of course, man. I've been uh, I've been waiting for this. Been had had it in the works for a little bit. It's been a uh, man. Thanksgiving has just like thrown my entire schedule out of whack. You have just three days of of all family stuff, and then you come back to work, and it's like, oh god, I'm just, you end up trying to catch up on stuff for two weeks. It feels like. Yeah, I had this whole train of thought on an article I was going to do, mm-hmm. and then I ate for three days straight, and I, I just <laughs> lost. It. So I just had to figure something else out. Yeah, pretty much, man. Um, so I think the first thing that we got to hit on right away uh, before we even talk Pacers, uh, COVID results came back for uh, league-wide testing, 48 players, um, it's right around, I think, 9% of all players tested, tested positive. Obviously not great. Uh, I, I'm not trying to blow it out, out of proportion, but um, I think when you look at the fact that, you know, these guys are going to be traveling all across the country and playing each other, um, I don't know. I have a lot of questions about how things are going to be handled throughout the season. I'm sure the, um, the NBA has less answers um, than they even know, <laughs> you know, what what they're going to be doing. Um, so it's going to be kind of playing it by ear and figuring things out on the fly. Um, what are your thoughts so far on, on that and, and how that's going? Because I, I don't think it's going to be as I don't want to say that it's not going to be as bad as the NFL or MLB because the NBA already has better plans in place than either of those organizations did. But at the same time, if that's setting the bar extremely low considering where everything's gone. Yeah. And I think that part of it is like when you look at the roster sizes and just the general Mm -hmm. organizations, like everything that goes into putting an NFL roster on the field, it's probably close to a hundred people versus an NBA team is you know, a 15 man roster plus however many coaching staff you can put it at 25 and you're still like, that's a, that's a quarter of the people. So I think your chance for exposure obviously goes down. And I think that um, that's good, but at the same time we're playing 72 games or the plan is to play 72 games versus 16. Um, And then when you get into the severity of somebody getting COVID, it's like if two people on your 15 man roster get a COVID get a positive COVID test, that's what would that be? Uh, the similar to 12 NFL players getting it. Yeah. It's like th- that percentage is right around there. So like the, that part of it is going to be really, really interesting. And for all the people that thought that the bubble was going to have an asterisk, I think it's very possible that this season has just as much of an asterisk. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I, I have, I have no qualms with, with anything of what you're saying. I think this year will be even more crazy than the bubble was personally. Um, just mm-hmm. banking on how everything's going so far. Um, but, you know, shifting ahead, looking at the Pacers, obviously training camp started yesterday. We're recording on today's Wednesday. Yeah, record, the yep. second, whatever it is, second is, I think it's Wednesday. Um, so obviously second day of training camp happened today. Uh, I haven't really gotten to ask you your thoughts on uh, on how things have opened so far um, with media availability and um, just in general with 
everything that's happened since the draft. Um, where are you kind of at with, with everything the Pacers have done in the last uh, week and a half? Yeah, it's interesting because the more media availability you get, the more you have to read between the lines because KP is speaking his GM speak. Yeah, he's very good at that. Yeah, you've got Oladipo saying that all he can control is right now and he's not worried about his next contract. (laughs) So it's like not a ton of confidence-inspiring conversations. And, I mean, that's just pretty much all you can go off is you can say like, okay, Oladipo, you plan for one year and then you deal with the rest of it if and you can't really do anything about it or anything about trading him or anything until his value isn't completely in the tank. So it's – it's a lot of information. Hopefully get some positive news out of training cap as far as like team continuity, as far as like actual like playing continuity rather than just roster continuity. Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. And one thing I want to bring up too, I mean, I think it sounds terrible because obviously I don't want Victor to be hurt as, as much as he's handled things poorly. He's still a pretty good dude. Yeah. Um, but it, it's for the best interest for the Pacers that he's coming into the season the way that he is because Obviously, looking back at Paul's last year, um, I mean, he was playing himself at 80 percent like for most of the year until they decided they were going to try and make the playoffs with like 40 games left. And he kicked his ass into high gear. Um, So I I think with victory, there's going to be a fire on his ass immediately because he's playing for his next contract. And honestly, I still think this is just my opinion. I think it's going to be with the Pacers. If he gets if he's going to be worth the max deal, he gets it from the Pacers. Like, I think we've talked about that before. Like, I think. The, the thing to me is it always comes down to Victor sees himself at this level of money, which I don't fault him for because it's hard to break that mentality once you get there. Um, but the Pacers rightfully so are like, we're not going to pay you that much because we don't think you're worth that right now. And you're too much of a risk. Well, if he gets back to that level, then I think the Pacers are fine with paying him. And that's kind of where we're at going into the year. Um, and I, frankly, I'm just hopeful that we will not have to talk any more about whether or not Victor is going to be on the team this the, for the, the remainder of the year. Yeah. I'm just really hoping that all of the chatter about him and Bjorkren's relationship being strong and all of the positive quotes that we've heard from that are all like legit and not just like new coach, like not going to throw him under the bus yeah. because I think that Bjorkren is going to have I put it in my eight points, nine seconds, little spiel today for the staff comments about the season. He's going to be the most valuable player for the season because he's going to be the reason that either Oladipo stays because he likes the way he plays as opposed to McMillan, who apparently there was some friction with, uh, he likes the way he runs the team, the relationship aspect of it, but then just generally like moving at a faster pace, getting more shots, getting all of that done. Like that could be the reason that Oladipo wants to stay. That could be the reason he plays a lot better is because he gets a lot more reps and he's playing a more modern style of basketball where it's not ISO and he doesn't have to create everything for himself. If he's even able to anymore, we saw in a bubble, he might not be. So um, really, I don't want to keep talking about whether or not Oladipo should stay. Cause I just want, I just want them to play basketball and, and let that figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, so that's where we're going for the rest of this podcast. We're talking about, all right, these guys, they're bringing back the top 13 rotation players on the roster. So literally just about the same roster. Um, I, You know, we're going to talk a little bit about, well, not a little bit, a lot of it probably on on the ceiling and, and floor of the roster. So just going in looking at, I think there's a pretty significant range of where this team could play into just depending on some things that happen. And 
Uh, do you want to start talking about the floor or the ceiling? Because I think, I guess they'll kind of go in hand in hand and yeah. we'll talk about the things that are important for them to hit either their floor or ceiling or, or mm-hmm. just things that'll really pivot that. And I think, I mean, we can just pivot right into that. I mean, number one is Victor Oladipo. Mm-hmm. Um, if Victor is Victor of last year, this team is definitely at its floor. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's pretty clear, but I think something that's interesting that I've thought about, and I want to go back through and look at more, um, obviously having not having Domas in the bubble was huge. Right. Um, but I've thought a lot about how Victor looked before the bubble um, pre hiatus and actually looked pretty solid. You know, like the last two or three games, he was really starting to heat up. The Boston game was probably the best game he's played since 17, 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you look at how important Domas' screening and everything was for getting him open. Um, so I think that's something I look at right away is that not that we're weighing too much of what happened in the bubble. Um, but I think that's an immediate thing where I'm like, okay, well, that will be helpful for Victor and him getting back to his level playing with Domas and actually having that. Um, obviously, you know, he had, I still think he was definitely worse in the bubble, but I think, um, we were talking about this the other day on, on the timeline. I mean, not having Domas just blew open the holes in the roster and showed everything that was wrong with, um, the system they were playing and some of the exposures of, uh, or flaws in some of the guys' games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, you're absolutely right in that the ceiling and the floor for this team relies on Oladipo because everybody knows that this team doesn't have the top tier guy. Like Oladipo is our chance at that, especially this year. Um, if he comes back at 17, 18 Oladipo, or like you said, so his stretch he had a five game stretch before the hiatus where he was at 19 points, uh, five boards, four assists, 1.4 steals on 47% from the field and 40% from three. That's, that's a really, really good player. Like that's, that is, I mean, you, you want that every single time his bubble stats were way worse. No, yeah. Let's just not, let's just, (laughs) no. uh, So his bubble stats, let me, let me go through it here. Uh, Get the, basketball reference figured out uh so he was at oh geez uh 16 points five boards three assists one steal 40 percent from the field and 34 percent from three so it doesn't seem that much worse and i think the the stats of it are generally close but you could just tell in the bubble he just wasn't right like there yeah, was and so especially many if you pull up i mean the pull the, the playoff stats are bad too like yeah just the, the, the points are there. The efficiency is gonzo. It's so, yeah, yeah. Uh, not good at all. So I think that's our biggest concern in that regard is that our, our team's not going to reach a ceiling if Victor's not healthy, but it's also probably not going to reach a ceiling if they trade him because you're not going to get a yep. former all-star back, like not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Cause that's the problem. Like, I mean, or not even the problem. It's just part of the, conundrum of this year i mean it's so different from paul like and i always want to keep hammering that home because paul was just a better player than vic even at his i mean at his peak in indiana better player than vic and that's not to besmirch vic i mean paul is just as much as people hate him he's just he's the second best player in franchise history in the nba so Mm -hmm. um you can't really i think fachi fachi might be upset if you don't put jo i mean jo is close but also (laughs) i i have you ever looked at jo's mvp season like almost MVP season. It's uh, it's he, I think he shot 43% from the field. Like it's, I mean, to to be fair, that offense was like not stacked at all. Like, I mean, it was very much so relying on J O heavy lifting, but 
um, in terms of true shooting, an ugly year. Like I, yeah. he had he had thirty six percent usage, which was wow. like third in the league that year. That's insane. Yeah, like Sorry. so it, it gets you off track. No, but, but no, like, yeah. I'd love talking about this stuff. Like <laughs> just for the people listening. So that's playing through Jermaine O'Neal in the post was getting the same usage as Luka Doncic and Trey Young this year. Yeah. So just picture picture that picture somebody working from ten to sixteen feet with 36% of the time the ball's on the court. So that that's what we were that's what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Not great. It was not efficient <laughs> offense. Um but JO was still really good. So yeah. um yeah, but I mean getting back on track like looking at Vic like you're right. I mean, you're not getting back any kind of return, especially it, since he's coming off injury and, and the way everything's happening. You're not getting back the kind of return that helps you improve your floor or ceiling. Like maybe you get like some young guy who just turns into a total stud, but again, that's wishful thinking. Yep. Um so I think we can immediately move off that. I mean, we, we, we know that that's something that has been on our radar. Um, but I think there are some other like preliminary things that we can look at um, that are very important for the ceiling and floor. Um, I think one thing right away is what does Jeremy Lamb look like when he comes back and, and how impactful is he? Um, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I, I wrote a piece on what the Pacers rotation could look like, you know, before he comes back and after he comes back. Um, and Basically, I mean, it's very hard to not have him eventually being the guy with the six most minutes on the team because that's what he's he was brought in to do. Um, and talent-wise, as long as he doesn't have a massive drop-off in his ability, which his game's not predicated on athleticism, so I'm not super worried about that. Um, but by the time he's, you know, kind of back in really in rhythm, he's going to be the guy who's going to get the six most minutes most likely, or at least on most nights. Yeah, so that's... Another super interesting thing about going into this season is that I feel that there is a more than significant chance that Aaron ends up playing himself into that six most minutes role. And I think that might be a little hot take-ish, but I think that is key to the Pacers ceiling as well, is Aaron Holiday being a more impactful player than someone like Jeremy Lamb, just because he's more versatile. He doesn't have the size that Jeremy does, but he's he's a more versatile player in creating shots for others. Defensively, he matches up really well with Brogdon, which we've talked about in the past. And I just think that that's another that's another ceiling play is if Jeremy Lamb coming off a torn ACL comes back at age 28 and is worth giving that six most minutes to over Aaron Holiday, that almost hurts our ceiling more than anything else. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I mean, I guess the way I was looking at it is, I mean, Jeremy, like the first 30 games of the season was actually, I mean, he was fantastic as a starter. Yes. Uh, yep. Really lost some of his, his consistency when Vic came back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, when all the times that Malcolm was out, he struggled too, because he's not a guy who's good enough at creating for others. Nope. Um, so I think my idea in looking at him is if he can become, you know, if I think if he's actually going to play that role, he only played four games off the bench last year, which is crazy right. to think about. Yeah. Um, so I just think the idea of if he is to get back to that peak, I think that's good for the team. But like you're mentioning with Aaron, that's something I actually really want to write on. Um, Aaron is so instrumental for this team moving forward. And I agree. Mm-hmm. I think the ultimate goal is Aaron Holiday needs to be the sixth man on the team or mm-hmm. find his way into those minutes. Cause obviously he's not going to be in the starting unit. Um, unless they decide to go really small. Um, but that is really small. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, but one thing I do like pointing out with Aaron, he was, I, I thought he really made some strides in the bubble. Um, Mm -hmm. he was, he's somebody who's been a little bit prone to, uh, 
um, shy. I don't want to say shy away from contact, but he struggles to um, to really draw any kind of contact. And when you're a guy as small as him, you're not going to finish over people. So right. you have to be willing to draw contact uh, and get kind of gritty on the inside. And he started showing that his free throw rate was a little bit higher um, in the eight seeding games. And also, I mean, so his stats were just 10 points per game, three boards, four assists, but only one and a half turnovers. And you're shooting 46% from the field, almost 40% from three. So the big thing is just he was way better inside mm-hmm. the arc because he was fantastic from outside the arc last year, almost a 40% shooter for, throughout the year. Um, but he really – his playmaking wasn't awesome, um, and he wasn't awesome inside the arc. But you saw that in the seeding games kind of start to play out a little bit. His handle – I don't – it's not that it necessarily looked tighter, but he was making good reads – he was making some skip passes, doing things like getting the ball across court to the corners, um, stuff they hasn't always been great at. Um, mm-hmm. So I think if you can get a guy who's actually a dynamic pick and roll threat, which he he's, he's shown flashes of, um, especially just coming off the bench, it's not even about being the bench. I mean, I think if he's a guy who can play leverage minutes or mm-hmm. just do stuff impactfully on his own while creating for others, that's huge. Because like we mentioned with um, with that that really long thread we had on Domas, I mean. This, this, the big issue with the Pacers is that they just don't have a lot of perimeter creation nope. um, or perimeter playmaking would probably be the better way to put it. Um, so finding more, you know, kind of talent like that on the, on the perimeter and on the preliminary is huge for them. Yeah. It's, I, I've really, really hoped that Aaron takes another step because like you said, his bubble was pretty good. Um, and there were, it, I've the very first article I wrote for eight points, nine seconds was that Bjorker needs to play all our young guys more. And uh, McMillan was kind of forced into that a little bit this year mm-hmm. after, with all the injuries that we had. And I feel like Aaron got a lot better as the year went on. Uh, and I think that he's, I don't even think it like, he's the best young player that the Pacers have. Yeah. Which is crazy to say, cause he's yeah. going to be 25 at some point during the season. Yeah. He's so. the same age as miles and Domas. Like, yep. It, it that's just I think Goga probably has the highest ceiling which I'm sure we'll get into but Aaron right now is the best young player on the Pacers and so where his trajectory goes is going to impact a lot of where the Pacers trajectory is able to go especially because you get into some p- positional stuff with the roster in potentially moving Miles or Vic I mean that's a forward position opened up and that's a guard position opened up and those minutes have to go somewhere assuming that we get maybe we wouldn't fill the starting role for both of those. I don't know, but um, yeah, it's just really, I'm, I'm really, really hoping that he takes a huge step forward without the, uh, without Jeremy Lamb there, just so that the Pacers can feel comfortable moving forward with him getting a significant chunk of minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess the kind of subsequent question I'd have off of that, how confident are you in, uh, in Aaron starting games? Or, and, and then again, this is just, this is all just speculation stuff. Like we don't actually think it's going to happen, but no. I think that's, that's the logical thing. Like, I think that would be the next step for him. If he's uh-huh. a starting level player, that's what he would grow into on the bench. Cause that's like, essentially, you know, with Jeremy Lamb as a six man, he's mm-hmm. an average starter and that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's what gets him to being a six man. So, um, you know, it's interesting. Cause I think the, the wolves maybe thought that because uh-huh. I, I, I don't know if you remember that the wolves made a play for him or yep. were attempting to, at least reportedly, I know the Knicks did as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. I think I, I ultimately that's kind of where I'm at. Do you, what, what do you think he has to do to become that kind of level of player? I think he showed it a lot more recently than what he did before. Cause there's been times where he's kind of come in and just chucked like, 
he he took his shots and he wasn't really looking to play within the offense. He wasn't really looking to uh, get other people involved as much as what I think he would need to, to be a starter, because if he's going to start, like he's not going to be the primary offensive creator. He's going to be mm-hmm. playing off ball. He's going to be taking advantage of, uh, of closeouts and, and situations like that. So I think it's kind of weird to say that our ceiling relies so much on a guy that I'm not super confident starting, but uh, I'm also assuming with the, just this year that we still have Oladipo on the roster. So it doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I think um, the biggest thing for me with Aaron is just like you're mentioning with, uh, with being a little bit of a gunner, I felt like he worked out a little bit of that um, this yeah. past year, especially towards the end of the year. But what was crazy to me is just his, I don't, I, I, I struggled to find anyone who had more of a rotational f- flexibility or fluctuation than he did. Cause mm-hmm. he went from, you know, 12 games in Malcolm has his first injury um, and perimeter guys are out and he's starting for that like eight game stretch in December plays actually really well. They go on the road and went in Toronto. Or I think that was a, uh, no, that was that banker's life that they beat Toronto in the uh, hickory jerseys that aren't terrible. Um, <laughs> and uh I mean, yeah, he played really well in that stretch, but then Malcolm comes back, Victor comes back, and he's like, by the time the Boston game hits, he's playing like six or seven minutes off the bench. Yeah. Um, so his role fluctuation was was nuts. And, and yep. the year before even, I mean, he got even less minutes, um, and his role is just super inconsistent. So I think, to me, I think that's where part of the gunner mentality came from a little bit because he yeah. felt like he had to produce when he was on court. Um, so I think just with having more of a um, – I guess the idea I'm getting at is with, with Nate Bjorkren guys know they're going to play, you know, like mm-hmm. everyone on the roster is going to get a chance uh, pretty much any given night. Um, so I think there's less of that. Okay. Well, I have to, I have to go out there and produce kind of mentality. So I yeah. think that'll be good. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, I still don't uh, like it. Like you mentioned, I don't know about Aaron as a starter yet. Cause I remember mm-hmm. when, uh, when the wolves, they were making that trade before they got D'Angelo Russell. Um, and I was like, Aaron holiday is a starter. I don't know if he's ready for that, but um, it's definitely within the realm of possibility. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things when all that stuff came up, it was like, Hey, you know what, if they're going to trade pieces as if he were a starting guard, then maybe that's something we should consider. But ultimately I'm, I'm kind of glad that they didn't obviously have no idea what those trade talks were like, but yeah, it's, I do think he worked some of that out. I do think he's going to have a lot less pressure this year to, to try and prove that he deserves playing time because he's going to get playing time, both with Bjorker and, and lamb still being out. Um, so I'm hopeful that, that, uh, that, that really shows some more growth in his game uh, rather than just not making rookie gunner mistakes. But I think also with the shortened season and the games being what it is in the possible COVID situation, Aaron might be starting. Like yeah. there's a very good chance, like Old Depot probably might, I shouldn't, I don't know for sure, but he might not play back to backs. Yeah, no, I, I wrote about that in my article. I was like, I, yeah. I, you know, just based on Kawhi Leonard and Tony Parker, both having the same injury, yep. they haven't played a single back to back since that injury happened. So right. um, we didn't get the, we didn't really get a chance to see that with Vic last year. Cause no back to backs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's very reasonable that this next year he might not. So that a huge opportunity for Aaron for sure. Yep. Exactly. Um, so I guess the next one that it's a little bit uh, not as big, but something that I think is on my periphery for sure. Um, talking about Aaron's brother, Justin, uh, obviously Justin had just an awesome season last year. Obviously last dude signed to the roster and played that into, you know, a three-year deal, obviously mm-hmm. fantastic. 
Um, but I, I don't, this is not me trying to be pessimistic, but I do have um, some genuine interest just to see um, how Justin's shooting looks this year because he was shot by far a career high last year, 40 and a half percent from three really struggled in the bubble, which I still think a lot of that was just to not having Domas, yeah. but he's a career 36% shooter, which is just below league average. Um, you know, the year before uh, coming to Indy he shot 30, just about 35%. And that was right around what he's been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's something that, that could definitely impact um, not just the bench unit, but the Pacers in general, if, if his shooting regresses back down to the mean, I think that uh, it's not killer, but at the same time, you know, that changes how he gets guarded. Um, that, that changes just the, the points per possession from his shot. You know, like I think that that definitely has an impact. Yeah, I think that's mitigated a little bit by Justin Holiday never being more than the fourth option on the floor. Yeah. So like how he's guarded, I'm not sure how much that'll change, whether he's at 40% or 35%. Uh, it gets any below that. And then obviously you're, it's a whole different conversation. But I think that was part of the reason as I looked into it a little bit more, like once he got signed to three for 18, we were ecstatic. Like, yeah thought that was a huge discount thought for sure it was going to be the full MLE. And like, that was, we thought he was worth it. Like that was the Pacers couldn't replace that. And we just liked the idea of having the brothers here, but I think the more I look into it, the more your concern is valid in that it's possible that that was a fluke and that he might go back down to 36. And if he's a 36% three point shooter, who's, who's versatile on defense, but like not a high usage player, then he's probably about right for his contract. And so I think in that regard, he does impact the Pacers ceiling, but I think at least he won't be a huge negative financially. And then you're not expecting a ton from Justin holiday. So like him shooting less than 40%, like I don't think they paid him as if he was going to continue shooting 40% from three moving forward. Cause I think that'd be a little bit, uh, silly to expect that much but I, I I'm hopeful that it wasn't like we can be somewhere in the middle where you can be 38 39 percent yeah no that's a good point and I think um I would agree I mean I don't I don't think it was a fluke I think it's just you know shooting luck happens in, in funny ways yeah. and it helps that he had Doug McDermott <laughs> playing with him yeah. most of the time so he gets a lot of easier looks playing off of Doug um and mm-hmm. obviously having the gravity of bonus like I think it's uh that bench unit was just so freaking good and yeah but I do think too um I, I don't know. I really think they're going to have to tweak and, and potentially even throw out the bench unit. Um, mm-hmm. That's just one of the thoughts I'm having because I, you know, I wrote about it in my article, like, uh, and not to keep hitting home on my article, but just stuff I think about. <laughs> um, if you're going to get miles minutes at center at all, it's probably going to have to come with the bench unit. Yes. Um, and you'd have to completely revamp and re you know, tweak what the bench unit looks like. Cause if you run miles with that bench unit, they are not rebounding a thing. Um, nope. They would have like the worst rebounding percentage in the league. Um, so I think, I mean, yeah, th- that's a whole other podcast, but I think that that takes me into what I'm thinking about. And that's, that's miles. I think um, as important as Victor is for this season, I almost think not that miles is more important to the season. I think all the starters, you know, them being healthy, huge. Um, but, you know, miles fitting into his role, becoming more of a, a gunner. Like he needs the Aaron holiday rookie year mentality, frankly, yeah. yep. um, because as much as I think it's frustrating to us a little bit, cause you know, we obviously we're in our bubble a little bit of, you know, having a lot of basketball knowledge, not to say that we're like super smart or anything, but just in general, <laughs> like we know what we're talking about with the Pacers and we, we, yeah. we watch the games and we, we 
dive into the stats. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of blame that gets put on uh, Nate McMillan's offense for, you know, miles not being a, a prolific three point shooter. I still just think a lot of it is on him um, and just not being a willing three point shooter. Like I almost, I, I wonder your thoughts on this. I kind of wish that he would just take the Brooke Lopez route and just start gunning. Uh, I don't care if he shoots 30%. I want him to, sh- obviously you want him to shoot league average or close to league average shooting better than 34% is nice. But if miles is shooting 34%, like he did this year, but he's shooting six or seven a game and not record scratching or hesitating, he has to be guarded. That's the big yep. difference. So, no. and I, because I think if he does that, he can open things up because he's shown he can attack off the close. Um, if he really is, is locked in and doing that and he's not, you know, thinking through stuff too much. Um, so I think that is a huge aspect to opening up the offense and, uh, improving the floor and ceiling of the Pacers. Yeah. So I agree with you that there's definitely some fault to be put on miles. There's definitely some fault to be put on Nate McMillan's scheme, but I think it also could come down to like the confidence that McMillan had in Turner. Yeah. So I think that's something that KP mentioned not that long ago. It might've been him or Bjorkren, but it was like, miles has the green light to shoot. It's like, okay, yeah, you can say that in the preseason, but like if it's halftime and mile and you've seen miles record scratch two or three times, like, Hey, you have to first walk time up to him and be like, Hey, you, yeah. you have to shoot it next time. First time you touch the ball next, like put it up. Like that's all you have to do. And I think so for my piece, my second option was going to be miles Turner because I think that he is the most important pacer to unlock because I think he's the one that's being used furthest from his ceiling. Yeah. And I think that if you were to ask me what Miles Turner's ceiling is, I would come out to you and confidently say that he's Chris Depp's Porzingis without the injury concern. That is his ceiling if used correctly and given the green light and, and being forced to have the green light that Chris Depp's Porzingis has. Because if, if Miles is able to take seven threes a game instead of four, like I know that he upped his – up to shop attempts from two to four and that his we saw it go down to 34 percent. so that's not ideal obviously you don't want to see it go down but i don't care like if if you're gonna have two bigs and you're gonna have miles turner be this unicorn stretch big have him be a unicorn stretch big have him take seven shots behind the arc a game regardless if they're going in create more space for everybody else and and that's the only way that these two bigs are going to work it's not going to work if he only takes four threes a game yeah no, exactly. Like, I mean, you can talk all you want about Miles being a stretch four, but unless he's stretching the floor, he's not a stretch right. four. He's just no. a four. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, that's that's a that's a really great point. And I, I always I, I love bringing up the Chris Stapps piece um, because I mean, he, what he did this year was huge, and I think a lot of that's on Rick Carlisle. And obviously, he had mm-hmm. to be willing to do it. But I, you know, I personally, I'm confident that Nate's going to be able to do that because it's just coming in and the way that he's talked. Um, Again, I'll want to see it first, but um, it sounds nice in principle. I think that there's a, there's definitely something there. Yeah, and before you guys come at me on Twitter, I know Chris Asporzingis <laughs> takes a ton more different types of threes. Like, he pulls up on the break. He's getting them on fast break and transition, and Caitlin talked about it a little bit in her piece. Was like Which Miles. also, Caitlin's piece is awesome. Go read it. Yes, absolutely go read it. It's one of the best that she's written, which is high praise because she's written a ton of awesome stuff. But yeah. So I know that they're not the same, but – the usage difference between the two is just insane. Like I I have it written down right here. Hold on. It is just, uh, I think Chris Stapps was at 26%. 
or 26 percent usage which is like 49th in the league mm-hmm. the drew jimmy jamal murray range miles was at 17.9 percent Steven Adams, Harrison Barnes, Chetty Osman are the are the people surrounding him. So, like, let's take that into consideration a yeah. little bit. Also, I gotta say, isn't it surprising that Harrison Barnes is that low? Yeah, I was. What I was his, his usage rate in Dallas had to have been close to like high twenties, maybe close to thirty. Because I remember, I mean, he was like the shots. I mean, he was like. I think it's it's interesting because Harrison Barnes is a lot better than I think he gets credit for. Mm-hmm. He's definitely a four and not a three now, but he still yeah. has played at the three because Sacramento is going to Sacramento. Huh. Um, but I mean, yeah, he just can't pass. Like he has like no yeah. passing vision whatsoever. But yeah, yeah, no, he's uh he's interesting. But yeah, I didn't. I, yeah, oh, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. Not any good. Um, but yeah, I mean, with Miles, I agree, and it's just funny because his usage rate is so low because he doesn't shoot. You know, if, right? If his if he shot a little bit more, his usage rate yeah. would be higher. Um. And I think too, I mean, he's a better defender than Chris Stapps easily. Um, yep. So that's a nice part too. Obviously, I think for him, looking at defensively, he's just as important too, um, mm-hmm. because that's one of the parts that's interesting. I think I'm less bullish on the idea that without Miles, um, the defense would fall apart. Which I mean, that's it, that's a fair point. You know, Miles mm-hmm. is the fact that they were sixth in defense last year and um, second or third the year before is largely in due part to miles um but i do think there are ways to mitigate not having room protection but at the same time if the pacers are going to be you know close to their ceiling you have that guy who is like you're mentioning someone who he's the least shiny uh coin out there like if you like clean it off a little bit or like scratch away like a a lottery card or something right like you look at a guy like Domas and all the stuff that he's bringing and doing on the court, like you can't really scratch the surface that much more. Like obviously yeah. you can make growth, but yeah, you look at miles and you just see how much more, if he gets involved, he can impact things. So yeah. if he warrants even more minutes by being such a good contributor on offense or being able to be so impactful on offense, um, that just expands what the defense can do or, or the floor of the defense by having him out there more, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, as I was going through the entire roster and it, it's not some big brain statement or whatever, but my, like miles is just the one that's furthest away from his ceiling. Like I said, like how much better can Domas get? He can just get marginally better in a lot of other things, but he's not a phenomenal athlete to be doing a ton of stuff. He can take some more threes, get better at outside shot. That's fine. Old Depot. We know what he is. We know what his, we hope we know what his ceiling is and yeah. it's hopefully back to 17, 18, who knows what the injury and just like Warren and Brogdon all the way down the list. But like miles is the one where, you know, we talk about the theoretical version of miles all the time. And it's just this insane, awesome two-way player who just shoots threes all the time yeah. and blocks a ton of shots. And it's just, I hope Yorkin can unlock that. Yeah. And the, uh, so I have two things on miles. The number one, cause it sounds like we're shitting on him a little bit, but it's mostly like, I think a lot of it's just been misutilization and the coming of Domas into the roster has like, just totally, you know, yeah. upheaved what miles was working towards at the beginning of his career. And, yeah. you know, like, again, like we mentioned, part of it is on him, but part of it's just on the environment. So I think mm-hmm. um, the coaching change is going to benefit him a ton. Yep. Um, at least that's the idea. It sounds nice. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Theoretically. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, so the next one that I have that I think will uh, will be intriguing to me to see what happens, um, or I guess two things. Number one is health. I think health is yeah. the biggest thing because you look at they didn't have the most man games lost injury last year, but it was close. Um, you know, especially looking at the starters. Just in you know, Malcolm misses like what fifteen games last year. Yep. 
Um, Miles and Domas split, and I think they missed like five or six together. Uh, TJ only missed one, I believe, uh, which uh-huh. was like his healthiest season of his career. Yeah. Vic yep. obviously misses almost the whole year. Jeremy misses a ton of time. Like you lost a ton of ton of rotation minutes. Um, so I think just having the team like healthier, like ninety percent of health compared to where they were at last year. Yeah. Or like 90% better. Like in, instead of being 100% healthy, that's yeah. unrealistic. If you have no. a, yeah. like 90, 85 to 90% health, that's dr- dramatically better than last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was, that's one of the things that because they didn't make an off season move, that's one of the things that you, you have to point to as a reason for why is that, you know, like you said, Brogdon missed 15 games. I think miles actually missed closer to 10. Miles and Domas missed like 10 games. Yeah, because Miles at the start of the season missed. Oh, three, yes, that's right. Six, I forgot how many games. He, he missed eight right off the bat right there. And then he had two more uh, in the middle of January, right before the uh, All-Star break or, or around there. Uh, and so, you know, if your starters are all missing 10 games, minus the one guy who everyone expected to miss 10 games and TJ Warren, because that's just been his, yeah. uh, that's just been his story. You can't really say that, you know what this team's going to do, especially when you're supposed or you're hopefully best player in Oladipo also missed that much time. So the internal development of that and just being healthier and hoping that that gets, that has compounding effects because everybody's healthier, your better players are just better. And then they also get more comfortable together. And then just more, you know, as you get more in sync with each other, that leads to better play as well. So I'm hopeful that that, uh, that ninety percent threshold can be can be good, and if it comes down to like sitting games versus being hurt for games, that's something I'm okay with. Like that's a completely different situation. Um, that if that's what it takes to keep somebody healthy, I'd rather them sit three games than miss eight and be yes. hurt for eight. Yes, so. I totally agree. Um, and I think too, it's important to note load management is really just chronic injury management. So I'm tired yeah. of I'm tired of yeah. load management debate. Yeah, um, it really, you know, it's something that I want to write on too, but you look at guys like, I think Glenn Rice had a year where he was freaking fantastic. First of all, for people who don't know, um, the Charlotte Hornets were fan, like they were basically the Pacers, like this era or the era before of Pacers in the late nineties. Um, they had like a 52 win year, which they were like ridiculously good, had the best offense in the league. I think Glenn Rice put up 27 points per game, shot 47% from three granted with a shortened line, but still ridiculous. Um, but he played 45 minutes per game and didn't miss a game. <laughs> and then you look at the injuries he has later in his career and the, the yeah. games he misses. Like you saw so many guys like that, like Jamal Mashburn, freaking fantastic player would probably be incredible today. Um, but he did the same thing. He played like four or five straight years of, you know, 75 plus games playing 41 minutes more, 41 minutes or more a game. Like, that destroys your body, like completely yeah. destroys your body. And I think we negate that. Like, it's good to be healthy. It's good to protect your players and have them healthy. So if they're not, you know, if they have to sit a couple games because they're banged up, that's not being, you know, it's not being like a wimp or something. That's just being realistic. Yeah. And so I think that that comes back to the rotation a little bit in that if like you don't want to have your best players missing games or like completely sitting out of games, but like, if you can go a week or two and play Domas 27 minutes a game, mm-hmm. you get more time for Goga. You keep him fresh because plantar fasciitis can show up whenever and completely just 
unpredictable. And then he's just out for two, two, three weeks, whatever. So I think there's load management or chronic injury management within games too, that I think uh, Bjorkren, it sounds like he's going to be involved with, because that's just the only way to get all these guys minutes like he wants to. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so that brings me to my next point. I mean, with the guy who was, you know, off injured last year in Malcolm Brogdon, yep. um, this is the definition of a guy who is injury prone, you know, and I, I don't mean that as a slight, he just has for, you know, for whatever reason, he's had that kind of career. Um, I think I'm really interested to see a him healthy next year, but also him getting off ball a little bit more or just finding mm-hmm. a, a, a little bit of a different role. Um, we're not, not role, but like, you know, finding a little bit more of a balance in his role, because I think, um, a little bit too much was made of his efficiency drop last year. Cause I think it's important to note how much his usage rose. Yeah. Um, I mean, he went from being a mostly off ball player in Milwaukee to being, you know, the most dominant on ball player in Indiana. So yeah. that has a huge impact. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, his, his usage jumped almost 10% from yeah. 18, 19 to 1920, which is a massive, massive jump. Yep. Um, but his, uh, his rim attempts, I mean, not rim attempts, his rim, percentage just totally flatlined as it is three-pointer and I think his three-pointer was mostly due to his difficulty of shot and his catch and shoot was bad last year too but also I mean the gravity of the guys on the roster compared to him was just not the same as playing in Milwaukee so I think that has an impact he has a pretty like he doesn't really get a lot of lift on his shot Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's something that factors in Uh, not a great off the dribble guy I know he's been working on that this summer and uh, this offseason as well um, but I'm really interested to see if he's better at rim next year. Cause he went from being like, a, you know, at his, as a wing combo guy, he was, you know, a top, top third of the league as a finisher. Mm-hmm. So it was above average. And last year was just terrible, you know, 16th yeah. percentile among combo guards shooting 51% at the rim. So Oof. I think if he shoots just, you know, 57% at the rim next year, instead of that, I mean, that makes a huge difference as well. Um, so I, I think for that's one of the things I'm most interested in how that impacts the floor and ceiling. Cause I think right now where he's at is the floor. Cause I don't think that efficiency wise will be worse. Um, yeah. But if he gets to somewhere between where he was at in Milwaukee and where he was at last year, I mean, that definitely, I mean, that probably bumps the Pacers like two or three games, maybe even more. Yeah. That was the note I had for Brogdon. I think his floor is last season. Honestly, like 17, five, seven on 43% from the field and not that great from three. Um, I mean, it's that, that is the floor, but I also think in order for the Pacers to reach their ceiling, I want him with less assists because that means he's off ball more. I want that efficiency up a little bit because that means he's off ball more. And obviously it's great that he's working on the off the bounce three and the, and the ISO scoring and all that, but I'm just hopeful that that's not something he's going to need all that often. Obviously, we've talked about it a ton is that we don't have all of that playmaking. And so if anybody can refine it, that's obviously a huge bonus. Um, and that's something that you, you don't know who you're going to have going into the season. So obviously we got Brogdon hoping to play with Oladipo. Um, so I'm hopeful that, that they can work together, work off ball with each other. And, uh, and that efficiency can jump up, like you said, between Milwaukee and Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think ultimately it comes down to uh I mean, Victor ideally is uh, granted. It's just kind of a blended backcourt. Like they're both kind of combo guards, Yeah. but ideally Victor is the guy who can become the leverage moment ball handler, which yep. I think that's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that works out personality wise and uh, mm-hmm. in, in the locker room. Um, 
And, but just grant, I mean, Victor has the burst when he's healthy. He has the burst that you need out of somebody who is your lead ball handler in high leverage moments. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I totally agree. Getting Malcolm off ball more, having him become a, you know, the, having that balance between what he was doing in Milwaukee and what he was doing last year is huge. And that's something I'm going to write on as well. Um, like looking at usage jumps, because like you're mentioning that, that was the floor. Like he yeah. went from never having that role. Like even at, at Virginia, I don't think he had a role similar to that. He was really more of just an off ball guy. Um, so I think that, yeah, that's definitely something to, uh, to take note of for next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brings us into probably our biggest part. Um, and we'll get into some stuff after as well. But I mean, TJ Warren, um, TJ Warren, I think is one of the guys who greatly dictates, you know, this team's ceiling. Um, if he is the same player as last year, they're still really freaking good. He's yeah. still really freaking good. But can he evolve as a playmaker? Is he going to shoot six threes per game like he did in the bubble? Um, yep. Is he going to be able to run some pick and roll and, um, you know, handle from the, from the, the way that he was in the bubble as well. Um, that has a massive impact on what this team is doing. Um, is he taking that other step? And I'm not calling him an all-star saying he's going to be an all-star, but is he on that? Like, can he be on that trajectory to becoming uh, another step above as a player, which is a lot to ask considering the jump he took last year. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, just in looking at the ceiling and floor, that is definitely a, a massive, a massive swing piece on that. Yeah. Uh, and that was the other note I had was like ceiling bubble Warren, like yeah, <laughs> 31, six, two steal in a block on 58, 52 and 89%. Like, well, he'll never do that for an entire season. Yeah. Otherwise he gets maxed immediately. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think being able to do all of that, I'm not sure it's going to happen with two bigs on the floor. Yeah. Because I just don't know. I don't know what that's going to look like. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that Miles can space out. Domas sets a screen, and then you've got Brogdon and Miles spotted up, ready to go, or doing some off-ball action, all that. But I think Warren absolutely can be a borderline all-star. I mean, it'll it'll basically be, you know, the way that the Pacers do it is you'll just have a bunch of borderline all-stars, and then the best player, who the healthiest player on the team, when it comes time for the all-star game, just gets in, and that's the only Pacer we see. Yeah, but. I think him, he's got to distribute better. He's got to have more than one or two assists a game. I think the the perimeter creation, shot creation, playmaking, all that stuff is he's the one that has the biggest uh, room to grow in that regard just because he just doesn't – he's a pretty, pretty great ISO scorer, just can't really uh, facilitate – uh, near as much as I'd like him to. So that's a huge, if he can take a step and get up to like four assists a game and maybe Bjork can help that, uh, that would just be awesome to see. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And um, it's interesting too, because I mean, he was used so much as a play finisher. Like, I mean, a lot last year, he was sets were run for him to get the ball with, you know, mm-hmm. 10 seconds left in the shot clock. And he just goes to work from 18 feet in and it's fantastic yeah. at that. But like, yeah, exactly. Getting him the ball earlier so he can distribute the ball using like Caitlin talked about this a ton using TJ Warren's gravity to get easier shots for everyone else. Because right yep. now that's not really a thing. He's just, he's so good at what he does right now. It works. But at the same time, if you want that to be an even more efficient driver of offense, you're able to use what he has to get other guys easier looks. And yep. I, I really like that you brought up the point. Cause that's, that's something I was going to mention too. Can these things all concurrently happen together? Yeah. I think it's, that's what's so perplexing about this roster. Cause I think you can squint and you're like, 
well, if Miles does exactly this, yeah, then TJ can do just this, and Malcolm will shoot this well, and Victor's healthy, and like that's so much stuff that can currently happen together, and that's why we have this massive range for where yeah. this team could go. Um, and uh, so I think, I guess, before I ask you, at, at, you know, I, I want to ask you one more thing before we kind of do our, um, you know, ending predictions a little bit. Um, with Goga, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about this. It always comes up. Um, just where is minutes coming from, you know? Like, so my thing about it is that if Miles plays more like the theoretical version of Miles, then I'm not really worried about Goga getting a ton of minutes. Yeah. You know, because if, if Yorkin can flip a switch and Domas comes out, Miles goes in and we're playing a completely different style of basketball that, caters two miles instead of playing the same exact Sabonis set, but with miles in not setting good screens, then you might as well have Goga out there doing it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I definitely want to see Goga get more than the six to eight minutes a game he got or whatever, but I don't, if, if miles is out there putting up shots, doing everything that we want him to be doing and it's working, then I'm kind of good with trying to build around that a little more and, and, and not giving Goga, 17 minutes a game for a, a solid stretch or something like that. But I ultimately, I don't think that's going to happen. And so I think that it's super, super important early on in the season to get Goga minutes to know what you have there. Cause it, it's, it's so interesting because at the beginning of the season, you've got a new coach. You want to see if Turner and Simonis can work together, but at the same time, you want to see if Goga can step up into a backup role. So like, like you said, I don't know how in the world all that's going to happen at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, it's interesting too, because even if, so I guess I, I look at it like, even if this ideal conglomeration happens with Turbonus, like, is it, is there really any justification that that's better than having an actual wing or forward on the roster um, who fits their role better? You know, I so, think that's that's the thing. It's always going to come up, but like that's even if you get the completely idealized version of the Turner's bonus pairing, is it not better to just have a winger forward on the roster? And I, I'm not saying there's a right or wrong answer, but but um, there is a right or wrong answer because who's yeah. the wing? Yeah, no, that's a great that's a good question. Who, who's the wing that you're getting? Because Gordon one of them Hayward, just yeah. went. I was going to say one of them just went to <laughs> yeah. for four for one twenty. So yeah, I I agree. I don't think that it's not an ideal fit like working two working two bigs together right now in this league without an actual power forward besides TJ Warren. It's not great. Like we don't have a wingy power forward besides TJ Warren, but I also, you have to consider what's out there. Yeah. And that's, that's, I'm working on a piece right now. It's the, the, the roster fluctuation and the roster availability between miles and Vic and why it makes sense. Nothing happened, but what, forward is out there that we can get with miles with Vic that makes sense to fill that role because there are very, very few out there. Yeah. I know we talked about it like every day for yeah. a couple months, man. There's yeah. like just, there were like three guys who were available yep. on the market and none of them were able to be had. So yep. I think it's, um, yeah. And I agree. I think it's, it's funny because I fluctuate on this a lot and I look at it. Okay. Well, I think you, again, if you squint just hard enough, um, if things really are able to work out between Miles and Domas, you could also justify, okay, well, having this this funky thing that 
no one else is doing to for the most part. Yeah. Um, maybe that's better, and that's how the Pacers get to to their ideal ceiling, you know, yeah. and becoming a, a a true contender. But again, that's um a lot's riding on that, and a lot is uh, a lot is up in the air. I think ultimately, in looking at the floor and ceiling, um, what would you say the floor is for this team? Because I, I have an answer in my head already, but the floor. So, yeah. it, so I have to have to quantify it or qualify it, whatever. All right. Well, we'll do the um, reasonable floor. So you know, without everyone okay. like you know breaking <laughs> okay. their legs at yeah. the same time. So reasonable floor, I think is, I think it's got to be eight seed. Like we just have too much talent on this team to be yeah. lower than the eight seed. I think, and that's even with. Turner and Sabonis not really working, but we're not able to find a trade partner. Vic not being at a hundred percent and being closer to bubble Vic than he was anything else. Um, and then obviously you throw whatever injuries or whatever you want to deal with. I think eight seed is still as low as it gets um, with the play in stuff. Who knows? You, you could talk yourself into you lose the play in game as the eight. Yeah. Seed. But reg- yeah, like regardless, I think they're, yeah, they're too good to be worse than the eighth seed. I would agree because yeah. I think, Orlando almost definitely is going to be worse this year without no, Jonathan yeah. Isaac. Um, Alfred Camino is out now. He had just got like a knee. I think he had like some kind of microsurgery on his knee. So he's out for a while. Yeah. He was going to be probably their starting power forward, but now yeah. I guess Chumo Kiki will be, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, so they're in a weird spot. They lost DJ Augustine and they really yep. didn't bring in. I mean, Cole Anthony, I guess they're expecting a lot from him. I would be too. I'm excited for that, but yeah. Um, I mean, you could be like, well, if John Wall comes back and he's like, uh, so uh, you yeah, exactly. make a face. No, no, no. Houston yeah. just traded uh, Westbrook for Wall in a first. Are you what? Are literally, you serious? Literally right just now? now that you saw me make the face. That's literally what just happened. I just didn't want to interrupt. No, that's happening. What? Yeah. So uh, it's a 2023rd protected first. That's it for Russell Westbrook. Like I yeah. know like that. Wow. No, that's, that's it. So now what? I would say. That the Wizards. Oh, uh, the Wizards are definitely they're they're they gotta be the favorite for the eight seed over Atlanta. And that I don't know. I just I don't oh, really like wow. Atlanta, but yeah. Wow. So, I can't believe the Wizards just did that. I can't believe that Houston, the Rockets just did that. But yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I'd be more well then okay. Are they trading James Harden? Yes. They're then yeah, that that almost yes. definitely like if you're trading for John Wall, like no question. Yeah, because he's not going to come back. I'm, I'm sorry. I hope that he comes back and he's healthy, but he just played a basketball game in two and a half years. Like, I mean, yeah, I have him on my fantasy team, so I'm really hoping that he yeah, does. Yeah, it's it, I'm super. Yeah. I wow. Okay. So I guess that shit. We got to talk about that. I mean, yeah. How? Where do you think that puts Washington? Because I think if for all the shit that Russell Westbrook got. Um, I mean, the last 30 games of the regular season, he was freaking good. He was a yeah. top 15 player, played probably the best basketball of his career, or at least the most uh, impactful winning basketball of his career. Um, yeah. I mean, Bradley Beal is going to have a lot of easier shots this year compared to last yes. year. Yeah. Um, finding the usage between those two is going to be interesting. If um, if Russell Westbrook can find the usage with James Harden, I'm certain he can find it with Bradley <laughs> that's Beal. A good, that was a very good point. Um, I mean, I guess if they have good development, like if Thomas Bryant's a little bit better, yeah. um, Troy Which Brown, if he's a his pre better, His bubble, his he was bubble good in stats, the bubble. Yeah. it was like 18-9. Thomas Bryant is a good player. He's I good. like Thomas Bryant. I still he's can't good. believe that the Lakers like pretty much salary dumped him. Um, yeah, I mean, they also salary dumped uh the lakers yeah the the, well that one was i felt like that one was kind of warranted 
yeah. uh, just given how everything was going. But yeah. Um, Wow. Okay. So the Wizards are, I would, with that move, I think the Wizards are not a lock for the playoff, for the playoffs, but I mean, that's, they're a lock for the playoffs in my mind. Yeah. That's pretty close. Uh, I mean, now you have, and I think too, you look at Atlanta, Atlanta is good enough. Like if Trey tries on defense, um, I think that's his improvement this year. Like, yeah. um, like it's not even that he has to be, he's not going to be good at defense. He's never going to be good at no. defense, but if he like just tries a little bit, um, I mean, the Atlanta could theoretically be the sixth seed if they, I think their talent's good enough. I don't um, think so, but yeah. that's fair. I mean, that's fair. I think they are, they're a really awkward group. Um, like it, it, you look at them and like, what are the closing lineups even going to be? Cause they have so many guys you can squint at and be like, well, you should be playing. Um, yeah. Regardless. I think Atlanta is good enough to gun for the playoffs. They will. Year. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. And so, I mean, <laughs> Washington will be as well. That makes things a lot murkier. I would actually say Orlando is out of the playoffs now. Like, yes, no question. Yeah. To me, Orlando, I don't think should have been in the playoff conversation at all, considering the loss of Jonathan Isaac. And then Atlanta and Washington are getting better by, first off, bringing John Wall back. But now you're bringing in Russell Westbrook instead. Uh, so I don't think I don't think they had much of a chance, especially with Brooklyn coming in, taking a spot too. So that's three other teams coming in. They didn't – they're not in there, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I guess the floor of the Pacers, we got to – is it the floor – I don't – okay, I don't think I would say it's the nice because I still think that they're better yeah. than uh, – they're, they're definitely better than Washington still. I I get they're, – they're better than Atlanta right yes. now. Um, yes, we'll they are. We'll see throughout the course of the season. But on paper, I think I would take them over Atlanta. Um, so we'll say eighth seed right now. Um, yep. What is the ceiling to you? The ceiling, I think, is – about five seed honestly yeah. i i don't i don't see another four seed and and realistically if they do get the four seed it's a four or five matchup and then who's that matchup you could easily go home having lost as the favorite seed again yeah. like that's i don't really care about that but i just with boston and toronto did get worse mm-hmm. but i think that philly got better brooklyn's obviously going to be way better and then you still got, I don't know. I, I think five seed, five seeds the ceiling. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think because Milwaukee, I still, unless um, something drastic happens, they're the one seed in my mind. I think yep. they're pretty much on their own tier and we've, uh, we'll see them in the playoffs. Uh-huh. Uh, Miami's like just about the same as last year. I actually really liked the Harkless pickup and not having to pay Jay Crowder the entire MLE. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, again, they're about the same. And I still think that they were maybe a little bit um, overhyped is the wrong word, but they definitely benefited from the situation, but they were still good. So I'm not trying to take their credit yep. away, but um, just, it was a weird situation. I, I don't think anybody would say that the heat make the um, make the finals with, without that situation. Um, so I guess, you know, Heat probably a top four seed, maybe fifth, the nets I'm less bullish on. I think they're at worst the sixth seed, but even then that I feel like that's scraping the bottom of the barrel for them. Like, um, but you know, they just have their roster is just really confusing right now. Um, it was pretty much confirmed that Jared Allen is not starting today, which is just dagger to the heart. Huge mistake, but yeah, yeah, I agree. Totally mistake. Um, who's defending anybody on that team? Like Kevin Durant when locked in is a good defender, but he's not somebody who you're trusting to like real or not somebody who you want to like spend yeah. heavy minutes guarding someone one-on-one. No. Um, 
So was Bruce Brown playing like leverage minutes for the Nets? As much as I love Bruce Brown, I don't think he's uh, quite that level of player. Torian um, Prince. Torian Prince was bad last year, if right? He squint like, really hard. He's a forward. Yeah, exactly. Like, like maybe <laughs> if maybe if he has some massive improvement, like Jeff Green is gonna. Yeah, I don't know. Um, don't so there, but regardless, they're gonna be a top five offense probably. Yep. Um, so I guess it kind of comes down to how much do the Celtics fall? I don't really think that much. I think they're the, the Celtics and Raps are both around the four or five seed. So I think yeah. you have, yeah, obviously Milwaukee and then Heater up there. And um, but I, I think there's definitely a, a way of looking at the Raptors and um, maybe they do fall off a little bit. Maybe Lowry drops off a little bit, which I'm, I don't want that to happen because I love Kyle Lowry. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he's what? He's going to be 34 this year? 34. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be 35 before the season's over. Yeah. So exactly. I mean, I think they're, they're, it just it happens to every player. There comes a time where there is a drop off and that's reasonably going to happen soon. Um, yeah. And, you know, how much better is Fred Van Vliet going to be? How much better is Siakam going to be? Um, which I think Siakam will probably be a little bit better this year. Um, if he makes the same jump he did last year, that's pretty much impossible. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I just have a hard time. Obviously, we don't know. We don't know anything about Bjorkren, but we do know about Nick Nurse. We do know about Brad Stevens. Yeah. So, like, it's tough for me to say, like, oh, the boss, the, the Celtics and the Raptors got worse while the Pacers stayed the same, therefore the Pacers should be better. Like, I just don't think that's the case at all. Yeah. Um, especially when you have guys like Tatum and Siakam on those teams who aren't done growing and developing as players. Like I just, I, I'm not, uh, not feeling great about our chances at a four seed. Yeah. I think the only thing I'd say that's different with, uh, with Boston is how long Kemba's out. Cause that makes it, yeah. that makes a difference. I think they yep. said he's going to be out until January. Um, but that could change. No idea. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Ultimately eighth seed is, uh, is kind of the floor fifth seed is the ceiling. Um, I don't know, man, it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting year. I'm really excited to see what happens. Um, and I think it's going to be a fun team. I'm really, really pumped to see what they do differently. Cause we're going to be watching new basketball for the first time in like three and a half years. So, yeah, that, that's the thing that I was going to say. Don't all you listeners out there, don't take a five to eight seed range as a negative thing. Yes. Definitely not. Like this I will think, be a good team. Yes. And, and I think that there is a, there is a chance if everything hits right, that the Pacers are capable of winning a first round matchup, regardless of what seed they're in. It, it's just a matchup game. But I think that, there's going to be some growing pains with a new coach. There's going to be some growing pains with Oladipo, whether that be on or off the court. And there's going to be some growing pains as Miles and Domas try to figure themselves out. And then even if they don't and we make another trade, that's even more growing pains. So like, I feel like the, the fact that we have our expectations relatively low compared to what some people would want for a team, you know, I, I think that it's okay to have the expectations to be the five to eight seed and have the have the season be you know kind of a kind of just like a a sample of what Bjorkman can do because we have so many moving pieces I think getting a five seed or even a four seed would be a really good season for the Pacers yeah yeah and I agree and I think you look at it it's like this team is uh they're all a pretty young group I mean the oldest guy in the core is 28 and it's Malcolm Brogdon so you look at that and it's like okay um, these guys have, they're all locked up except for TJ. TJ's deals up, uh, not next year. I think it's the year after. Um, Correct. So they, you know, they have, they have time together still. So I think this is, it's kind of like 
in boxing. Like it's a feeling out process. You're not just going to go yep. in and hammer away right away. Um, exactly. That's how you screw your team over and get, you know, fucked over by the cap and all that. So um, regardless, a lot to look forward to. Um, Rhett, this was a lot of fun, man. Uh, I always, I always enjoy getting to talk. Um, what do you want people to know about or where, where can people find you at? Uh, can find me on Twitter at R H E T T underscore B A U E R. And then you can find me over at eight points, nine seconds. Uh, I'm always responding to people on Twitter, any sort of, uh, quote tweets or comments or anything like that. I'm, I'm all over it. So if you have any questions and you want a complete guess of an answer, uh, I'm out there ready to go. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much where I'm at. Awesome. Well, as always, thank you for coming on. Um, I'll be sure to link your stuff down below. Uh, to everyone listening, thank you, of course, for listening. We'll have a lot more stuff coming out uh, over, you know, leading up to preseason, which is somehow 10 days away uh, from when we're recording. <laughs> don't, don't remind me. Um, but, yeah, we're getting there. Um, thank you again for listening. Have a good rest of your day.